Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Big Ten Hoops Weekly. I'm Brett. I'm here with Steve. Steve, how are we doing? Um, I am ready for the holidays. How are you doing, Brett? Same here. Same here. It's uh, It's been an excellent start to the season so far, and we've got uh, a hell of a week to recap. Um, and, you know, just as a reminder, we are uh, brought to you by Brewbags Coffee Company. So thanks again to them for their support. Um, and so, yeah, I think we should just jump right into it now. Uh, this was a pretty loaded week, um, considering that, you know, it, mostly everything took place uh, on Saturday. And as a warning, um, we are recording this Sunday morning due to time constraints. So any of the Sunday games uh, we will uh, talk about next week if necessary. Um, so none of those will be covered. But Saturday was was huge for the Big Ten. Uh, lots of games. Uh, it was huge for college basketball as a whole. Um, you know, lots of excitement just kind of up and down the schedule. But as we do, and, as, and someone needs to pull the statistics on this because I really want to know how many times we've started the podcast over the last two seasons with the Purdue Boilermakers. But it only makes sense to start there um, in a game against Arizona, who has kind of run their way through part of the Big Ten so far. Um you know, Purdue knocked off the top team in the country um, in what was a, a real, real fast paced, high scoring game um, and really kind of solidified their status uh, amongst the nation's elite for this season. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, the interesting context would be that, uh, you know, the game was in Indianapolis, so very pro Purdue crowd. But we saw basically everything we'd asked for uh, from Purdue, um, you know, another efficient game from Zach Eady, 22 points. Uh, on 15 shots and Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer stepping up with 26 points and 27 points apiece. Steve, starting with the guards, I think, what what did you make of how, how they approached this game and, and how Purdue was able to kind of get them going uh, while maintaining Edie's uh, focal, focal point of the offense? Yeah. Yeah. As, as I was watching this game, I was kind of thinking back to, you know, maybe what makes this game a little bit different from some of the other, Purdue games, both good and bad that we've seen this year. And I think when we, when we thought about this Purdue team, you know, both last year and this year, it's really, it's always been like they are led by Edie and then everyone else sort of fills in around them. And the fact that they'd done so well, you know, last year and even in the years before, I mean, maybe it was a little bit different the years before, but I, I think a lot of their success last year was attributed to, Edie's the player of the year, and then everyone filled in their roles really well, you know, specifically Braden, Braden Smith and, and Fletcher Lawyer. I think what was so cool to see in this game was, um, you know, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer kind of p- putting the, the team on their back in a way, right? I mean, if, if Purdue actually wants to make a run in the Final Four, um, they're going to need those guys hanging in punch for punch with elite athletic guards from other, you know, top 15 teams. And they, they did that. Uh, You know, they went right at Caleb Love, who, you know, had 29 points of his own in that game. Um, You know, they both Smith and lawyer were super efficient from the floor. I mean, it's, you never see three guys on the same team scoring 20 plus points in, in college basketball at all. And, and, and really, I mean, I think the thing that we should also mention b- before you even talk about like this, the end of this game is that, I mean, Purdue was blowing Arizona out, you know, for the first three quarters of this game. Um, and they, they did it with like 
the reckless efficiency um, and just the, the complimentary inside-out play that they've done to make themselves so dominant so far. Now, does this game do anything to, like, rip the they don't perform in the clutch, you know, label off of them? No, you know, they're going to have to wait till March to do that. But I think if you're a Purdue fan, if you're looking for glimpses that this year might be different, it's seeing Smith and Lawyer really, really not not just have, have good – double-digit efficient scoring outcomes, but it's, it's them really putting the team on their back, making big shots down the stretch against a top-five team that you should really be happy about. Yeah, totally totally agree with everything you're saying. And I think another big thing is because they were making those shots, it limited Arizona's ability to run in transition, which we saw them basically use to just brutally destroy Wisconsin, um, kind of off, off turnovers and rebounds. Um, and you know, 13 turnovers against this Arizona team is, is, you know, is you'll live with that. Um, just given how athletic and rangy and, and, um, you know, defense oriented they are. But like you said, I think, you know, they, they, they were able to key in on guys like Pella Larson, um, no threes for him. And, you know, you'll take love shooting four for nine from three. Um, if that's the only kind of real offense Arizona is able to generate, but I, I totally agree. I think, you know, it was another kind of bad shooting night for Lance Jones. Um, but, and and they didn't really get much from anybody else, but they didn't really need to. Like when you have Smith and Lawyer really operating kind of under control and and hitting shots like that, um, you know this this Purdue team is is really dangerous. And I think yeah, kudos to them for for really really putting it together at the right time and and being able to lean on their guards um, instead of just making it a one man show through through Edie, which would not have been nearly as successful against uh, a team like Arizona. All right, so moving on. Um, a, a somewhat unexpected win uh, yesterday, uh, Michigan State uh, playing at Baylor, I believe at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. You know, you, you knew something was kind of interesting when, when Vegas only had this as a three-point game, despite kind of the opposite trends, trends for each team. And Michigan State really came out and just took control from the beginning. Um, it was a 22-9 to nine after the first 10 minutes. So they were really locked in and ready to go. Um, and this was this had to have been cathartic for Michigan State, um, you know, kind of on the heels of, of two straight losses to uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska. But, you know, you, you saw pretty much everything we you wanted to see. I mean, to Tyson Walker, 25 points, Haggard kind of getting back on track with 14 and then just nice contributions from the rest of the roster, which I think at this point, you know, you'll you'll take what you can get from the rest of that supporting cast. And if they can all pitch in to help win a game like this. I think you'll take that as a, as a Michigan State fan, but they were up by as many as 30 and it, it really, really was a dominant effort. So do you think this is a sign that they can really turn things around or are you in a holding pattern until we see more than one game like this? Well, I, I think a couple things, you know, from just a like a mental standpoint, uh, I think it's great to see, you know, I mean, Michigan State's backs were against the wall, like, right? like their season was sort of floundering in. In, in the middle of nowhere, you know, prior to this game, right. They were on, I believe a two game losing streak. And I mean, th- this was their one last opportunity to get a marquee non-conference win to So, so they've saved their shot at a tournament. You know, if you arguably even think they still have one at this point, like th- this win will be huge in, in terms of um, giving them a marquee resume win if they do end up in the, on the bubble. And I think if you're looking for just, a reason to believe that this team, you know, has the mental makeup to 
continue succeeding, this was the result that you needed to see to validate that. So I think from that standpoint, you, you've got to be really, really excited about that. But, but it also, in some ways, like, and Vegas probably knew better than anyone, like this is to be expected of a team coached by Tom. So, you know, you know, they're not going to back down. Um, we know they've been struggling, but um, like th- this is not surprising given just Tom Izzo's reputation and the way he runs their program there. However, I think the the one on court thing that would also make me really excited if I were a Michigan State fan it is not not necessarily even the the balance of offense, which which you hit on. You know, they got good contribution from you know their bench guys on top of Hagard and Walker, but to me. When I look at the box score, I look at the 21 turnovers that they forced, and I look at the fact that they won the rebounding battle by nine, and that's validation to me that they're back to playing Michigan State basketball. It, for them, it, it's going to start with defense, especially with how offensively challenged this team is. And, you know, here you kind of saw it. The other thing that I'll say is, you know, there's been a lot of noise around this team surrounding their inability to shoot threes going eight of 12 from three this game, mostly spearheaded by, by Tyson Walker, you know, and he's, he's been a little bit underwhelming from three to start the year too. Um, that's also a good sign that they're starting to figure it out heading into January. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think holding a team like Baylor to 0.9 points per possession when they have so many offensive, uh, you know, threats and, and NBA talent uh, is, is really something to be proud of. I will highlight the 18 for 28 from the line. Um, Michigan State is still really not getting it done. They're 278th uh, in the country from the line. So that's that's going to be something to, to keep an eye on, especially as you kind of get towards the the slowdown grind of, of the Big Ten season where each each possession becomes very important. Um, all right. So moving on, um, we had one of the more, I think, unique games yesterday um, in Ohio State UCLA where both teams combined to make two Two three-pointers. Uh, Ohio State was one for 15, and uh, UCLA was one for nine from the field. But Ohio State was able to come away with a win in down in Georgia, in Atlanta. Um, and what we saw there is is kind of what we expected from, from this Ohio State team. We saw, you know, an ability to win when things got ugly and a really balanced scoring attack. We said we had four of, their, of Ohio State starters in double figures, uh, spearheaded by Roddy Gale, who... Um, has really kind of come along nicely in his in his sophomore year. Definitely more consistent, and you know Bruce Thornton leading the charges as, as always with uh, 13, seven, and four assists. So just another really good outing from him. You know I think I think this kind of this win goes to show that you know UCLA is not what they were the last couple of seasons, but they're still a very capable defensive unit. Um, and you know Ohio State did really well to take away a bunch of offensive opportunities. So I think. This is kind of what we can expect to see from Ohio State. Maybe a little underwhelming shooting-wise, as as kind of has been. But you know, when they lock in and 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 defensively, they can really kind of compete with with just about anybody. Penn State, notwithstanding, I guess. Yeah. Every time they cut to Mick Cronin on the sideline, I had to remind myself that we were watching Ohio State UCLA and not like Ohio State Cincinnati because this 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 was an ugly game for sure. Particularly if they look at the three-point shooting percentages. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think Ohio State's, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't call them one of the surprises of the season because I think given the way that they showed in the Big Ten tournament to end the year last year, everyone knew this this was kind of brewing. But at the same time, you know, they're nine and two. You know, they're nine and two, and frankly, with a with a not so great loss to to, to Penn State last week, 
but but still, they're sitting here nine and two as we're about to flip the calendar, and you know they're they're sitting really pretty to uh, do damage in the conference and have a have a solid tournament resume. You know, the the other thing that I think really might be a question coming out of this game and, and less so pertaining to Ohio state more, more so pertaining to UCLA, you know, they're, they're going to enter uh, this, this, you know, next part of the schedule and pack pack play five and four, you know, the, those four losses, there's no bad losses in there, but um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the expectations were out of UCLA, but th- this seems like it was more of a lost opportunity for, for them than it was a, um, like a game that Ohio State needed to have. So the the fact that they were able to kind of take that on the chin and and really grind this one out. I mean, this is this is an example. This is this is an example of evidence for like how Ohio State's going to be effective in in conference play. Um, they don't have to shoot threes to win, uh, but they've got playmakers, you know, all throughout their lineup that can get to the foul line, um, that can shoot efficiently. Um, and they play on both sides of the the court. And so a um, really, really solid win for for this team as they head into conference play. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. I think uh, you know, there's some nice momentum brewing there. Another another kind of game of the day contender that, you know, I don't maybe not flew under the radar, but uh I didn't end in a win for a Big Ten team uh was Indiana hosting Kansas in a in a, you know, Top tier home game, which I, you know, that's why I love college basketball, right? You love seeing stuff like this. It's not at some weird NBA arena or some arena no one cares about in the middle of nowhere. It's, you know, Kansas at Indiana. Um, really great environment, despite the students not being in attendance. And Indiana led for most of this game. Um, you know, they, they led by 13, uh, five minutes into the second half. Um, and they were doing it really by just gr- like just slowing Kansas's offense down to a halt. And, you know, neither of these teams really take that many threes. Um, they're both well in the 300s uh, in terms of, uh, you know, three points, three pointers attempted uh, over field goal, like total field goals. So that's that was an interesting thing to, to monitor throughout the game. And you really saw Kalel Ware and Malik Renew just kind of in the middle gumming things up uh, against Kansas's talented post players and Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams. But. You know, there was always going to be you, you You just had a feeling that Kansas was always going to make a run. They're too good of a team to just kind of roll over and die, even when things look pretty dire. And that's exactly what they did. You know, after that, after they were down by 13, they really they went on a run and ended up winning uh, at Indiana by four. Um, really, you know, good showing from Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller really was able to make his presence felt, especially at the line. But I think we're overlooking, you know, not, not to be overlooked, I guess, is a career day from none other than Trey Galloway, uh, who ended with 28 points, really kind of spearheading a lot of Indiana's offensive attack by getting to the hoop a lot, making a, a lot of tough layups, um, knocked in a couple threes and was really able to challenge Kansas, you know, Hunter Dickinson specifically at the rim. And, you know, that's something that Kansas is going to want to work on. Um, but there was not nearly enough offensive production from the rest of the team, as kind of has been the story. Um, they actually were 38% from three, which, you know, not bad, but it's it's games like this where the door was way, was wide open for for Indiana to to basically steal one against a, you know, a top two team in the country. And they, they couldn't get it done because they couldn't get the buckets and keys, the key stops down the stretch. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I have that much to add on top of that. I mean, if you're Indiana, this we'll we'll see where this team ends up come March, because. 
Um, if they keep playing the way that they've been playing, they'll, they'll probably be fine and like won't be sitting there regretting not having a win like this. But man, I mean, when you think about how the season started off slow and over the past couple of weeks, they've been really playing a lot better together. You felt like the toughness still there that Mike Woodson inspires, you know, Khalil Ware has been a, been a great surprise and they've gotten great contributions from some of their other guards in the absence of Xavier Johnson. I mean, this would have really been the bow on all that coming together, you know, to get this marquee win opportunity and take care of it at home. They would have really been heading into conference play with a ton of momentum, uh, but not so, you know, they, I think, I think it showed that they don't have the horses yet to make those big shots on the perimeter that, you need to win games like this. We'll see if, how much that matters come conference play. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think if they if they'd even gotten like a little bit better of an offensive showing from Khalil Ware, they probably win this game. You know, he was three three of twelve from the field. You know, eleven points on twelve shots. Did have fifteen rebounds though. But you know, they, they were close, but it, it wasn't good enough. So I, you know, there's still a ton of questions with this team as far as like what their ceiling is. Uh, but man, like this is a huge missed opportunity for them. Agreed. And I think this is also the second straight game we've seen where struggle offensively with, with a bigger front line. Um, you know, Kansas was able to kind of throw both Adams and Dickinson, uh, at where, and, uh, we've seen his efficiency kind of taper off between that and the Auburn game against, against broom. So I think that's something that he's going to want to make sure, you know, and coach Woodson's going to want to make sure that they, they get kind of figured out uh, how to manufacture easier looks against a bigger front line before we get to, you know, your, your Purdue's and Illinois and, and, and teams like that. So um, yeah, definitely an encouraging sign for Indiana, but I think overwhelm or like, it, it, you know, ultimately it, it turns out that uh, you got to win some of these games and that would, this would have been a huge, huge one, but it was good to see them compete and not uh, just kind of get blown out. Speaking of um, losses and disappointment, the Northwestern Wildcats who, you know, we had, spoken so highly of uh, a bit ago just because uh, due to their win over Purdue you know we had mentioned that they kind of had a, a string of games coming up where it was just kind of head down take care of business and and keep the momentum rolling and uh, they were not able to do that as they lost to Chicago State at home in in front of a very sparse crowd so obviously the the you know the environment wasn't there but Chicago State still ranked 335th on Ken Palm, um, despite two straight wins over Northwestern and then a, a Valpo team. It's, you know, we had talked about Northwestern's penchant for for defense and just grinding things out and, and making things tough on the opponent. But then you let Wesley Cardet score 30 points and finish 10 at 12 from two. Um, you know, and he hit a few threes as well to make, you know, his, his overall game wasn't as efficient. But, I mean... You, you can't have that if you're Northwestern. I mean, that's it's it's only their second loss, but it is a bad loss and could have kind of serious ramifications come March. But we had talked about kind of the need for supporting cast to step up and, and Barnheiser and Langborg really put in, you know, good efforts along with with Bowie's 23 points. But they got nothing from anybody else. And and they can't in, in a way that, you know, so uh, dissimilar from Purdue's three headed attack like that three headed attack is not going to get you very far in the Big Ten. Yeah, the the transitive property and the Big Ten is going to be a funny thing, right? Because I think if you believe that, then Chicago State should be favored the next time they play Purdue. One clarification of a comment that you made, there were actually 4,100 people that attended this game. 
Um, so I agree with your definition of sparse, but just wanted to put a little bit more specifics onto that. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about this game is is um, is just a bummer, right? Like your Northwestern, you know, you're you're trying to avoid a letdown from how good of a year you had last year. You know, you get off to a little bit of a slow start, but you finally get your marquee win um, a, a little bit ago against Purdue and. You know, you, you come in, you're ranked, you're ranked 25 in the country, and you've got a, a sleepy game on a Wednesday night against a team you should throttle. And I think the thing that's killer about this game is they were up double digits in the first half, and they were up like, you know, even, even once Chicago State came back, they got up two, three scores, you know, with, with like five, six minutes left in the game. Like they should have, they, they should have been able to avoid um, an upset just by playing solid, and, and they didn't. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the box score, there isn't really anything that stands out here as like, hey, Northwestern was like, notoriously awful. They shot 49% from the field, you know, um, 14 turnovers maybe is too much, but it's 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 really the fact that they just didn't impose their will in the way that you should against a, a team like this. So, you know, I don't know where Northwestern goes from here, but I mean, they're going to need a... I mean, they're going to need like multiple road wins in the Big Ten against marquee opponents and to hold serve at home to make up for this and overcome this loss when it comes to tournament time. Because if they're anywhere close to the bubble, I mean, this loss is going to kill them. Yep. And I think, again, it like like we've talked about before, it, comes, it a lot of the time it comes down to free throws. They left seven points on the, at the line, 65%. And there were no crazy like offenders. Like there wasn't like someone that missed all of those. But still, you just... In close games like this, especially as it comes to the Big Ten, you you got to make your free throws. And they, they've been doing an okay job so far, so there, there's reason to believe that, that was just an aberration. And they did pick it up a little bit with a, you know, they beat DePaul, an awful DePaul team, but um, on the road. But, you know, there's there's a lot to be done, uh, even with only two losses so far for, for Northwestern. And uh, that does it for the weekly recap. Um, before we move into the preview of next week, uh, I would like to remind everyone that this podcast is brought to you by Brewbags Coffee Company. And you can rediscover your ritual with Brewbags Coffee Company and their single serving flavored and unflavored cold brew pouches. So whether you're looking for an easy way to make great cold brew, uh, to save time in your morning, uh, or to just have coffee the way you want it while on the road, uh, brew bags are so easy. You can brew them in your sleep and they will make you excited to wake up. Um, again, I personally would recommend the birth roast flavor and the cocoa pecan flavor. Um, those have been been my favorites so far. And uh, in celebration of their launch uh, this month, you can enjoy free shipping uh, and use discount code launch 10. That's L-A-U-N-C-H-1-0 uh, to take 10% off your order. Thanks again to brew bags for sponsoring this podcast. All right. So moving into the weekly preview. Um, it's it's kind of this weird, you know, week where some teams have finals. Um, there's kind of the, the Christmas break. Um, I know a couple t- like there's there's a few teams that really kind of have one or two games between now and the beginning of conference season, the official conference season, January second. But um, you know, we we can start things off with Tuesday. Michigan will meet. The Florida Gators in a neutral site game at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, famously, again, where both of those teams reside. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting game. I think Michigan is still finding its way. They had a good win, you know, a good win over Eastern Michigan in, in Juwan Howard's kind of return to head coaching duties. And Florida is a team that's, you know, kind of been similarly up and down in terms of 
they don't really have any good wins, um, but they don't really have any bad losses either. Um, and, you know, there's there's definitely talent, and Todd Golden is a pretty good coach. Um, you know, Walter Clayton's a, a, a transfer from Iona that's going to kind of keep, uh, you know, keep the guards from Michigan on their heels. And, and Riley Kugel is just all-name team, um, but also a, a pretty solid player who is on NBA draft board. So I think it's going to be... You know, Michigan kind of needs this one if they want to keep their tournament dreams alive. Um, they don't really have any good wins, and this would be a good one. Um, and I, I think it's just kind of about, you know, getting McDaniel and, and Kamwa comfortable um, and just ne- trying to negate Florida's athleticism and really make them grind things out in the half court instead of getting out and running in transition. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of factors, but I think Michigan, this is a game Michigan has to have. But I think it's definitely definitely going to be a close one, and I think they, they'll be able to pull it out. Um you know, as things, as things end up, uh, on Wednesday, we've got, uh, the aforementioned Northwestern wildcats going to Phoenix to take on Arizona state in what's technically a neutral site game, but it's, it's effectively a home game for Arizona state that Arizona state, the, the numbers really do not like this team this year. They, um, even though they were a tournament team last year, you know, they're like, I think they're 130 something in the net. And so like, this is kind of one of these games for Northwestern where you, uh, you, you kind of need to win it, even though it's not going to be easy to go down there and win if you want like your tournament numbers to look good. So, I mean, no better opportunity, I, I guess. And we should say, you know, Northwestern did bounce back from the loss to Chicago state by beating um, another local Chicago school in DePaul on Saturday. So they've already sort of gotten, gotten over that loss, but I would say at this point, actually, Brett, this is probably one that Northwestern can't afford to lose, even though they're going to be kind of playing it on tough circumstances with a long travel time. And, you know, I guess a team that looks statistically bad, but you know, it's probably going to be a close game one way or another. So I, if you aren't doing anything on Wednesday, I think, um, that could be an interesting one to turn into to see where Northwestern's temperature is at. Moving on to Friday, we have two very stylistically different games. Um, we've first, we've got the bragging rights game in St. Louis. That's Illinois, Missouri. Um, and you know, we, we've, we, we kind of joke about throwing out the record books with, with rivalry games and stuff, but truly anything can happen in this game. Uh, we've seen all sorts of wacky results and um, you know, this is a game that Illinois should win, but and I think Ken Palm has this as a an eight point Illinois win. But, you know, Missouri, although they have been a little bit disappointing this year, uh, they've got a trio of talented guards who, you know, guards wings in, in Sean East, Nick Honor and and Noah Carter, who who can all get get baskets. Um, And they're they're not a bad three point shooting team. And they also have seven foot five Connor Vanover, who just can really, although not built like Zach Eady, has is a bit of a threat to shoot it from outside. Um. So he can stretch the defense a little bit and and really make guys like Danger and Hawkins kind of defend him out on the perimeter, which should open driving lanes for for guys like Sean East. But, you know, I expect Terrence Shannon to continue his run of play. Missouri's not great defensively. Um, they're 73rd in the country. And so, you know, there will be weak, exploitable points in their defense. And I, I expect Shannon to make a living at around the rim and at the line, as he has been doing. This would be a good game for for guys like Danja and uh, or not Danja Domask and Goody and Guerrier to kind of really work on getting some open shots and and kind of getting into a rhythm ahead of conference play. So I like Illinois in that one, um, but Missouri is definitely going to make them work for it. And then 
On the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, we have what should be a uh, monumental brick fest in Maryland, uh, UCLA. Um, this game is at Poly, um, so I think it's a it's a good road test for Maryland, um, in and definitely provides an opportunity to to get a quality win back on the schedule. Um, both teams have have defenses that are within the top 21 in the country, and um, geez, Maryland's 354th in the country now in three point shooting, and UCLA is 274th. So and they both take a pretty healthy or no Maryland takes a healthy number of threes. UCLA really works to pound the ball inside. So it's going to be on guys like Reese and and Scott to hold down the interior um, on defense and make sure that that Bona uh, can't really get to work around the rim. Um, and also just make sure that uh, UCLA's guards don't have free run at the rim because that's really how UCLA is going to be focused. But I think whichever team makes more than like four threes probably has a good chance at winning this game. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty. Um, but I think it's a good test for Maryland to see, you know, how they're going to hold up in a, in a difficult environment, uh, even though it's winter break, um, and just really try and score a quality win for them. And then speaking about whatever you called it, an atomic brick fest, um, on Saturday, we've got potentially an even worse brick fest than that. When Mississippi state goes to take on Rutgers in New Jersey, I believe. So technically, technically, a um, a neutral site game, but um, should favor uh, Rutgers in terms of the attendees. Uh, hard, hard to know what to make of this Mississippi State team. Um, so they, you know, they have a loss to Southern on their resume, which is not great. Um, but they've beaten Northwestern. They also have a win over Arizona. That mentioned Arizona State. They've beaten Washington State. So, you know, kind of an unproven team. But as we've said before on this podcast, nobody likes going to the dentist. However, Rutgers may be the one team that actually does because they are they play like dentists themselves. Um, you know, uh, Mississippi State only has one score averaging um, double digits. They only allow like 63 points a game. So um, if you like defense and you like bricks and you like the potential for Rutgers to get a quad one win, um, this is your game to watch. So. Um, definitely going to be a light slate across the country in terms of college basketball on the Saturday before Christmas. So um, if you are addicts like us, this is going to be your game to watch that day. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, maybe maybe that's a merch opportunity, Steve. Uh, something like no one likes going to the dentist and just Rutgers logo on it. So we'll, we'll get working on that. That'll do it for us this week. Um, thanks for sticking in. Uh, we know it's a little bit lean time for college basketball, so we appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there with us. Um, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, um, again, I think you can use the Spotify Q and a feature, um, or you can send us an email at big one zero hoops weekly at gmail.com. Um, Steve also accepts carrier pigeons. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. Um, thanks again. And we will see you next week.